0: Hi, hi, Cherie. There you go. That's just for you. Welcome back to Cinema. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Cherie is off this week, so I am in your feed solo again. Today's episode is a much-anticipated one on the Disney Plus series, Percy Jackson, and the Olympians. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, or in this case, you don't have to watch the TV series, but I always recommend it as I will never story right from Spoilers. Today I'm going to be talking about my first impressions as a longtime book lover, some of the casting choices, and how the series stacks up as a whole compared to the beloved series. So, let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey, so sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while I check your cinematic pulse. So, summary of the show. Based on the first book of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series by Rick Riordan, I did look up the pronunciation of his name, season one of Percy Jackson follows the titular character Percy as he discovers his true identity as a demigod and is tapped for a quest to stop a war between the gods. Along the way, he will face monsters from ancient Greek mythology, come to grips with his identity as a forbidden son of Poseidon, and learn when to trust and when not to. So... I went into this having read The Lightning Thief multiple times, but intentionally not having read it in a couple of years. I wanted to go into this series fresh without having my love of the books clouding my judgment because I will be the first to admit, you just can't fit everything from the book into a movie or even a TV series in this case. Even this series very obviously deleted some events, even though the original book very much reads more like a TV series, with several chapters feeling much like standalone adventures. I must have known this series was in the works for a couple of years now, and I must admit, I was really nervous. Wes has not read the books, but I wanted him to watch the series with me, so we went back and watched the Chris Columbus movie first before we started the series. Now, again, Wes has never read the books, but even he could see what an absolute train wreck the first Percy Jackson movie was, which... Not to say much about that, but it was a real heartbreaker that the man who brought us Harry Potter could mess something up so completely. Maybe I'll do a movie roast about that one day, but I digress. Upon launching into the actual Percy Jackson series, I was definitely on edge. The series tackles just book one in eight episodes, and it starts the whole vibe of the show um, maybe a little more serious than the books were. Not entirely, but I honestly thought it struck a nice balance between the constant comedy and shenanigans of the books and actually giving us an adventure to take seriously. It very much felt like the screenwriters acknowledged that much of their audience was gonna be 30-somethings who had read the original books, and honestly, also maybe their kids. Um, The TV series did some fleshing out of Percy via flashbacks that we couldn't really get in the books, and I honestly think it made our hero a much more well-rounded character. Even if some of the flashbacks weren't strictly book material. Because remember, or I may be telling you for the first time, uh, Rick Riordan was heavily involved in the screenwriting of this series. He helped write uh, the, the series for TV. So he got to assist in writing some of the flashbacks. So ultimately, I watched one episode and knew that I was going to watch the whole series. Because it was, it was good. Different, a little different than the books that I had grown up reading, but not so different that I ever felt like this series wasn't staying completely true to its source material. I cannot wait to watch these characters and actors grow up into the absolute warriors that they are by the end of the series. Honestly, just thinking about it gives me chills. On to casting. We had some very different casting choices. They, the casting directors made some different choices, especially than we saw in the movie and especially the book. Annabeth, I'm I'm just gonna come out and say Annabeth was black in this. If if none of you were watching and missed that, um, Grover was uh, Eastern Indian, and even Percy doesn't technically look like he's supposed to. Um, we get a black Chiron, Zeus is black, and Clarice is black. Um, They really diversified this casting significantly, which, I mean, the Greeks didn't look like that, but the whole book series was seriously lacking in diversity. Almost every single one of the main characters was white. Um, Not to mention, mind you, the, the books were originally published in 2005, and I mean, just being honest, we weren't as diversity conscious back then. Um, But to me, the casting changes made sense. For one, the gods are supposed to, if you've read the books, the gods are supposed to change with the powers of the day. Um, They don't really talk about this in the series, but it's something that we know as book readers that the, the gods, the Greek gods shift with society. And with the Greeks, they would have looked like the Greeks. But with Americans, it makes sense that they would shift to reflect the American people of the day. Not to mention that Camp Half-Blood is off Long Island. How do you not have Black characters in New York? So, honestly, the change made perfect sense to me. And Leah Jeffries was a very calm, collected, and serious Annabeth. And I will never say a single bad word about Lance Reddick. May he rest in peace. Um, Ultimately, a lot of casting choices come down to who was the best actor for a role. And if that actor is Black, then I guess that's who you're casting as your character. It's that freaking simple. Moving on to Sally Jackson, um, honestly, she might have been my favorite casting of the whole thing, uh, other than Lance Reddick, because I love Lance Reddick. Um, Sally Jackson got done a lot more justice in this series than she did, honestly, even in, in the first movie or honestly, even in the books. I kind of talked to Maddie about this at length. Hi, Maddie. Maddie is one of me and Cherie's friends from college, Um, but... Sally what had a lot more agency in this. Um, she had a lot more spirit. In the book, she was kind of a, a trope. Um, she was kind of a just a type that had been I kind of overdone. Just, you know, the, the nurturing mother who's still kind of like has a broken heart and just, you know, does everything that she can for her kid. She was a trope. She's a trope. And in this, she was much less tropey. She was powerful she was decisive she was very well versed in the world of ancient greeks um which she was in the books but you really got to see it in the tv series and i really feel like it the the writers took the chance to do sally's character absolute justice um she was calm in the face of danger from the minotaur and honestly just the sally that we everyone deserved honestly, probably my favorite casting choice was Tim Amundsen. Tim Amundsen played Hephaestus, uh, which we saw in the um, Amusement Park episode. I think the casting for Tim Amundsen was very poignant. Um, In mythology, the god Hephaestus was crippled. Uh, It was part of why he was cast down from Mount Olympus. But he took the weakness that others shunned him for and made himself a force to be reckoned with, um, fashioning weapons for the gods and being their main blacksmith. And thinking of... Tim Amundsen in that role almost brings me to tears because for those of you who don't know, Tim Amundsen, who played our favorite straight-laced Detective Lassiter on Psych and the calm but villainous Kane in Supernatural, suffered a massive stroke in April of 2017, possibly related to a clot in his carotid artery. Um, Tim was completely debilitated. I'm talking confined to a bed and literally completely relearning how to walk and even speak. He worked so hard to get his body to a point of even functioning again and has slowly been making a return to acting and it moved my heart that we have writers and directors in the field that see the meaning and importance in casting a stroke victim and I could not think of a better person to cast as Tephistus or one with a more magnificent beard for that matter. Still in the vein of casting, uh, eagle-eyed viewers will notice a Rick Riordan cameo. He is in the principal's office at Yancey Academy when Percy's getting in trouble after the museum incident. But the rest of the child cast, like Luke and Clarice and Annabeth and everyone, they're kind of relative unknowns. Um, Although you'll recognize Walker Scobell from the Netflix movie The Atom Project, where he played the child version of Ryan Reynolds' character. Uh, We got a little bit of that sass again for this, uh, which honestly, it was kind of perfect because Percy's character can't always control his mouth and is rather snarky. And if Walker grows up to be a Ryan Reynolds 2.0, I'm so okay with that. So again, forget that he doesn't look like Percy is described in the books. He is Percy Jackson. He is Percy Jackson. Let me say it again. I am going back and I'm I'm rereading the series, obviously, right now to make sure I've got, I'm up on all of my book facts for the episode. But I'm I'm rereading this after having watched the series, and all I can see is the characters from the show. Even though I had very obvious depictions of them in my head from when I read this the first time, it doesn't matter. Those whoever I invented reading this series are, are out the window now. All I can see are Leah and Arian and Walker because they are Percy Annabeth and Grover. Okay, so. On to writing. I really like that they took advantage of Rick Riordan's plot rather than the absolute slaughter fest that the movie had for a plot. It's gonna keep coming up. I can't not talk about how bad the movie was. I'm sorry. <laughs> For all of the tropes that are in the book, Rick's plot is actually very nuanced and has lots of twists and turns that you don't see coming as a first-time reader or watcher. We got lots of things that we didn't get in the movie, like Luke giving Percy his winged shoes but Grover winding up being the one wearing them, so it was harder to pick out who the villain might be. They were kind of fighting an uphill battle on that one because we saw Luke was the bad guy in the movie, though we didn't know why. Um, other than just like oh he hates the gods Mer talk about a one dimensional villain um, this show even had my husband second guessing who was the real lightning thief even though we had just watched the movie he really thought it might have been Clarice because he found Luke to be such a likable and helpful character for Percy which is just just shout out to the writers for really working around a difficult problem there where you're you're doing you're doing a reboot but you're not changing the the overall ending. You know, so we have to, they had to try to find a way to make that a surprise still for people who had already seen the movie. I kind of took note of some of the changes in like book book to movie. I kind of mentioned kind of mentioned the casting change. Um I like going back, the the book was really whitewashed. Like I said, none of the main characters were anything other than white. And I mean, like that's that's in book description. So skin tones not Like directly mentioned it's always like hair color and eye color um and like complexion but not not skin tone directly but it's you can you can obviously infer it from from character description so I'm really glad that they took the opportunity to to make that change because it it needed to be done it was just not not realistic um Another good change was some of the character responses, behaviors, and situations were a little tropey in the books, Um, or at least, you know, by now they have become so. Remember, the the book was originally written in 2005, Um, so the show worked really hard to make those situations and characters less tropey and more serious and believable, um, specifically Clarice. Clarice was way less tropey in this. Her whole interaction with Percy actually had character motivation and served another purpose than just to give Percy a chance to show his powers. Because in the book, that's kind of all Clarice's character serves in, in the first interaction that we have. She kind of just picks picks on Percy, picks him out, and drags him into the bathroom to give him a swirly, okay? Which, I mean, like, while that was a very common thing that would occur maybe back in like the you know 80s when this writer would have been experiencing a lot of pop culture references that he would draw on to write this book doesn't happen uh as much nowadays other types of bullying unfortunately but the whole swirly thing is not not exactly a thing um And so to give that interaction much more nuance, to give Clarice character motivation where she is jealous of what essentially amounts to Percy's clout that he gets just walking into camp where she has had to claw to be intimidating and to have people fear her as a daughter of Ares, it really fleshed out her character a lot, which is something that I think her character deserved, especially considering uh, her prominence in the next book and hopefully the next season because I'm desperately hoping for a season two, which has not yet been confirmed as of this recording. I did want to point out, I, ha- I have like a bullet point for bad changes. Uh, it and This isn't necessarily a bad change from book to movie, but the show has the characters being a lot more distant from their immortal parents and harboring a lot more resentment towards them, even Percy. Um, This was different from the book, and I honestly couldn't understand it at first. Uh, There were some kids, like the Undetermined kids at camp, whose parent never claimed them, who you can totally understand being resentful of their parent. But even Annabeth was kind of resentful of Athena in the show, and where in the book she is more proud to be her daughter and doesn't really want to associate with her father, In the books, for the most part, the kids think it's cool that one of their parents is a god. And it becomes a major part of their identities because they get these cool abilities and stuff. And I will say, though, that this change can work on two fronts. Um, Being resentful of a parent that was never in your life is a very realistic and relatable thing for a lot of kids. And I think probably makes these characters more empathetic, especially younger audiences just getting into this. Secondly, and spoiler alert for the ending, if you haven't read the books or you haven't finished the season, quit listening. I mean it. Okay, now that it's just us, the widespread resentment towards the gods makes Luke's motivation much more understandable in the end. And it really makes sense that if he was already resentful of his dad and considering the traumatic events that happened with his mother, which I won't spoil that one just yet because it's not in the show, it makes sense that he would become one of Kronos' pawns. I did know that there were a few things that were missing uh, from the book. Um, they didn't include at all nectar and ambrosia, which um, if you haven't read the books in a while, nectar and ambrosia are the drink and food of the gods that are used to heal and restore to full strength kids who are demigods. I get that you can't include everything at once, and this could very well be an element that they're just saving for a later season, uh, because you don't... There's, there's so much to this world that Rick Riordan has created so beautifully, um, and I can definitely see them saving some elements of that to just continue to flush out this world for later seasons. Um, you don't want to overwhelm your viewers with a bunch of... Fa- you don't want a Game of Thrones them, okay? <laughs> the other thing that was missing was they didn't explain how the gods are still around or how they've shifted with the change of civilization and power. Um, There's a whole conversation that Percy has in the big house with Kyron and Mr. D um, explaining this. And, But, you know, we've talked about this before. In film, there are just certain things that your audiences accept. They wouldn't watch something with this premise without accepting it first. The premise being that there are half-blood demigod kids. So... You can kind of skip some of that exposition in favor of more crucial plot points. In the books, these kinds of explanations enrich the storytelling and help knit the logic of the story together. But there's other ways to do that and parts that you can skip altogether when you're translating that to film. And I think that that was just kind of one of them. Maybe they'll get into it later on, but I think, again, viewers just kind of accepted the premise already and you didn't need to make it make sense. Not not for film. Jumping to music, um, honestly, the soundtrack wasn't really something I focused on for this show. I was mostly just in anticipation of seeing the original writing translated to screen. Um, it was written by Bear McCreary and Sparks and Shadows, and I it actually reminds me a lot of the Night at the Museum soundtrack. It's very heroic and flowing with lots of horns and strings. Um, it is appropriately thematic and it adds to the overall feel of the show without standing out too much. The main theme was not really what I expected for this, though. It's actually a little bit subdued, but I don't know. I still find myself humming it, and I can definitely instantly recall the theme when I think of the credits, but uh, soundtrack was nothing to immediately write home about, which is rare for me. Uh, Normally, I can't talk about production with Cherie not here because that is her wheelhouse, Um, but I have been avidly following the production of this show, so there are a few things that I can touch on. They did not uh, hold back with special effects for this, which, you know, you have so much by way of of monsters and everything that you're going to have some CGI, but they did not rely on CGI for a lot of their filming, actually, for instance, with Percy's sword, which I actually don't think they mentioned the name of Percy's sword in the show. I'll go ahead and spoil this for you guys because his sword has such a cool name. Uh, like Luke mentions, his sword name is Backbiter. Uh, it's mentioned very briefly and you almost had to have the subtitles on to catch it. But Percy's sword is named Riptide, which is amazing. Um, but the special effects for Riptide were actually very interesting. They had Walker Scobell hold basically like this cylinder, skinny cylinder, kind of like, honestly, think of like boomwhackers from like elementary school, you know, the big like tubes that you would bounce against your hand and make music with your classmates. Um, it kind of looks like a little boom whacker, but it 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 lights up and it has this very faint, like lava lamp-y kind of golden glow to it. And that's how they get the lighting right on his face every time he uh unsheaths riptide. So whenever he pulls out his sword, he's actually, uh, in, in filming holding this glowing cylinder, and then they see G.I. Riptide in on top of it. But it it makes the the Grecian bronze light up his face and then they don't have to cgi that lighting effect and get that right every time it's natural lighting from the glowing cylinder and i just thought that was such a genius choice to make because it just gives his weapon such an ethereal feel um and it it really lets you know like his sword is not your average sword the, there were a couple other things that I, I noticed they went all out for. Um, for instance, in the fight with the Minotaur, when they're all in Gabe's Camaro, uh, racing down Long Island, um, they actually took a Camaro and strapped it onto kind of what essentially amounts to if you've ever seen like a bucking bull at like a like a rodeo saloon or whatever, where like a mechanical bull. Um, they strapped it onto one of those kinds of contraptions so it's on a platform and it's it's being held in by buffers on all four sides and then like like a ridiculous water ride or movie ride or something in an amusement park they just put the actors inside of it and then flailed it around to emulate the like running over the road and getting thrown around by the Minotaur and stuff like that. The poor actors that play Sally Jackson said she was just trying to not throw up, <laughs> um, which just made that. And they're spraying water at them the whole time. And, and they have these L- LED green screens behind them um, or LCD green screens or laser green screens. They're projecting the background up onto behind them and just making the whole effect very, very real I, and I just like no holds barred for for one small scene, they really put in all the effort for that. And speaking of those laser LED screens, um, they used those for many of the sets. Um, like I said, including the Minotaur fight outside camp, and also Mount Olympus. Um, they have the floor and like the stairs and everything built, and then all of the surrounding is. Um, laser projected up onto these screens, which we saw that with the behind-the-scenes stuff for a lot of Star Wars, and they use that effect again in this. And it just... Man, does it elevate your set so much and you don't have to rely on so much just, you know, green screening background in on stuff, which can wind up, you know, giving your actors kind of a weird glow on their face and messing with some of the makeup. And then you can kind of just tell and it ruins the overall visual effect. Um, No, using these um, laser projected screens is a much more effective tactic and just really elevated the whole feel without having to, you know, plop them on real long island there were uh quite a few easter eggs from the books uh included in production like annabeth is wearing aegis around her neck um it is a little ring which for those of you who are book readers you know who aegis is or what aegis is i guess i should say um clarice's spear that her dad gave her never never brought up but we know as book readers that clarice's spear is from her dad um And, uh, and the blue food that Percy and his mom share, which even the actor, Walker Scobell, outside of production, production, uh, enjoys eating all of the fun blue food, um, which they didn't really explain in the show, but I'm glad that they did include because it was something that was desperately missing from the movie. All of the the behind-the-scenes special effects are on Disney+. Plus. If you're interested in them, there's a whole special on all of the production and special effects that they used, um... So I'm definitely going to be watching that and I encourage you to also because it just gives you a much better appreciation for all of the effort that went into making this kind of stuff. So that concludes my episode on Percy Jackson. I know I didn't cover everything by half, but my overall opinion of this show is that given what it means to so many people and how long it has waited to get this kind of adaptation, it is unquestionably excellent. Honestly, it brings tears to my eyes thinking about how Rick Riordan got this kind of closure. We will definitely touch on this again when Cherie gets the chance to watch it, and you bet I'll be around again for Sea of Monsters, because if they don't renew it, I will throw a Tyson-sized tantrum. Next week, as it's Valentine's Day, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite romance movies, Warm Bodies, starring Nicholas Holt and Teresa Palmer, based on the novel of the same name by Isaac Marion, if you want to read it or listen to the audiobook. So... Make sure to be here next Friday to tune in. Roll credits. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please consider supporting us by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you can get access to show notes, vote on our upcoming episodes, and get exclusive downloads of our episode art. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse.